I want to ask you to pray for him as I try to preach tonight. The theme of this Bible conference is repentance, revival, and the second coming of Jesus. There cannot be real repentance until we feel the need of it. We don't, we can't fake it. It has to be heartfelt. It has to be a conviction by the Holy Spirit. Would you turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 2? Jeremiah chapter 2. And I want to approach this from a little bit different angle tonight. As we think of the theme, repentance. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, so wonderful to be at the Chinese Bible Church again tonight. I thank you for the honor of being here to try to preach the word, stand in this sacred place where Pastor Lightfoot has stood for all these years. Thank you for the love and the compassion and the tears that have flowed from his heart and watered the work. And God is blessed and the souls that have been saved and the the time spent for God by all these dear precious people. Lord, touch us again. Open our hearts to hear from God tonight. We pray that if there's one person in this place who's never been saved, this will be a night of salvation, of victory in Jesus. And that every one of us will have a personal revival in his own heart. That we'll repent of our sins and turn to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jeremiah chapter 2, these words from verses 11, 12, and 13. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished or appalled, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid, be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now Jeremiah lived in a time very much like our time. In about the year 950 B.C., the nation of Israel was divided into two camps. One under Rehoboam, the southern king, Judah and Benjamin, those tribes. And the other under Jeroboam, the ten northern tribes. There was a division after Solomon died. And they were always at each other's throat. Neither of them did very well. They were always forsaking God and going whoring after other gods. But Israel was a little bit worse. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to wave a red flag in their face and to say, repent, turn back, come back. All day long I've stretched out my hand to you. Come, come. But they would not hear. And finally God sent Amos to say, because you will not hear, prepare to meet thy God. And in the year 722 B.C., the Assyrian hordes came down and took the ten northern tribes into captivity because of their sins. As far as we can tell, they never came back unless the coming back has been in that recent gathering since 1948 
when the Jews have come back to their land of Palestine. Well, you'd think the southern sister would learn a little bit better from that, but they went on also in their midnight cry, going against God, allowing all kinds of sin to come into their lives, whoring after other gods, putting something else before the Lord God, bowing before Baal. And finally, God sent Jeremiah. The last 40 years of Judah's history, there was a weeping prophet named Jeremiah. Sometimes he's thought of as the one more like Jesus. One day they, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And some of them said, well, they think you're Jeremiah because you weep so much. Your preacher is like that. He has tears of compassion and love for you. Everyone in this room who knows Pastor Lightfoot has seen tears. I've known him all the years. And one of the hallmarks of his life are the tears of compassion for people. Brokenness over the sins of people. That was like Jeremiah. And Jeremiah preached 40 years. And he waved the red flag in their face. And they would not listen. And finally, in the text we have just read, he said, be astonished at this. Be horribly afraid for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn them out cisterns that can hold no water. What a tragic outlook. I want you to notice the three thoughts in that text. My people committed two evils. They have forsaken me, and they've hewn them out cisterns that can hold no God, no, no water. Now, first of all, they were my people. Not everybody is the people of God. We are God's people by creation because he made everything. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. God, in his greatness, has made everything in the universe. And he's made you and me. And if you're here tonight and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you belong to God by creation. However, there's something in our lives that is irreparably marred because of the fall of man. We went whoring after our own sins. We turned away from God. And sin has separated between us and our God. And those who have never been saved, never received Christ as Savior, do not belong to God. The Bible says they are their father, the devil. They worship him. They may not know it, but they're worshiping the God of this world. But this scripture text is saying, my people, those who have had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, those who have known the Lord, those who have known the Lord God, my people have committed two evils. How do you become God's people? Brother Doyle beautifully told us about his old testimony a while ago. We're not born the people of God. We're born as children of wrath and children of disobedience. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room tonight who has never had a conversion experience is a child of Satan. You're a child of the devil. God loves you. He wants you to come to him. But the only way we can come to him is the way of the cross. Jesus, God's only son, 
God tabernacling in human flesh came and died on a cross right in the mouth of hell saying don't go to hell don't go to hell come come and all who have ever come to him have been forgiven been saved and they're on their way to heaven now those are the people he's talking about my people my people God's people now beloved America needs revival Oakland needs revival. San Leandro needs revival. Bowling Green, Kentucky needs revival. God only knows how much Washington, D.C. needs revival. We all need revival. We need to come back to God. But there can be no, peop no real revival, no national revival, no turning to God, nothing that will ever spare America from the wrath and, and judgment that is upon us already. We're not going to be judged. We're already being judged. And the very fact that so much debauchery is going on and we have an administration in the White House that has campaigned on all kinds of immoral issues and the people of God like to have it so is an evidence that we've turned away from God my people God's people need revival now look at it my people have committed two evils number one they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters if you look over in your Bible at Isaiah chapter 1 let's look what it means to forsake the Lord beginning in verse 2 Isaiah 1 verse 2 hear O heavens and give ear O earth for the Lord has spoken I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me they have rebelled against me how have the people forsaken the Lord number one they have rebelled against the Lord now what does it mean to rebel against the Lord well God said let's go this way do this thing let's follow the Lord let's do what he wants us to do but we didn't want to do it we decided to have our own way rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft God hates rebellion whether it's in a little child whether it's in a teenager whether it's in a husband or a wife whether that rebellion is in a church where the people rebel against the leadership of the Lord I think of the time in Israel's history when Moses was taking a strong stand for the Lord and there came a man named Korah and Korah said you take too much on you Moses you're not the only holy man around here all of us are holy you just need to pipe down a little bit stay in your place let all of us as usurp our authority and Moses said God will show today who it is he speaks through and the Lord God opened up the mouth of hell and swallowed up Korah and all of those who had taken their stand against God and against God's man God hates rebellion and in Jeremiah's day they were rebelling in Isaiah's day they were rebelling God had showed them a path and they've said I don't want to go that way that's the way it is in America today listen to some of these things uh, uh, it's hard to believe in some United States cities today having a Bible study in your home is against the law witchcraft rituals that are sexually perverse and bloody are now protected by the law with kiddie pornography on the rise one extreme group is calling for the age of sexual consent to be lowered to the age of four 
public tax money is supporting an annual dance festival consistently featuring total nudity. And you and I and our tax money are paying for it. Prostitution is being claimed as a woman's legal right by the National Organization for the Women in New York State. Children under age 12 are more frequently than ever involved in violent crimes, particularly rape. Only 8% of our nation's reporters attend church on a regular basis. And on and on we could go. America is in trouble. Our nation is in trouble. But I want to tell you who makes up America. It's you and me. We can't talk about those people over there, those people over there, those people over there. It's us. And if there's ever to be a turn from rebellion, it has to start in our own hearts. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. The only fountain of living waters. I think of that woman that Jesus met in Samaria. You know the common way to go from Jerusalem to Galilee in the day in which Jesus lived was to go down the Jericho Road, cross the Jordan River, go up on the other side of the river, and just south of the Sea of Galilee, cross back and come into Galilee. Therefore, they did not have to go through Samaria because the Jews did not like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. They had no dealings with each other. But the Bible record says Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And in that wonderful fourth chapter of John, he had walked all that distance. He sat down on the curb of Jacob's well. And the woman came to draw water. The Lord said, would you give me a drink of water? Why, she said, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me who am a Samaritan? Did you not know that the Jews and the Samaritans have no dealings with each other? And the Lord said, if you knew who it was that asked you a drink of water, you would give, you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living water that you thirst no more. Now this woman was thirsty. She had tried this and this and this. None of it satisfied. In a little while, the Lord said, go call your husband. Why, she said, I have no husband. And the Lord said, that's right, you've had five of them and none of them satisfied. You tried this one for a while, you got rid of him. You tried the other one for a while, you got rid of him. You tried a third, a fourth, and a fifth, and now the man you're living with isn't even your, your husband. You see, none of those things satisfy. Well, she tried to change the subject. She said, well, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, we Jews, uh, we Samaritans believe you ought to worship at Mount Gerizim. And you Jews believe you ought to worship down in Jerusalem. What do you say about it? And with terrific, heavenly spiritual insight, our Lord said, woman, the time is coming when they'll never worship, neither worship at Gerizim nor Jerusalem. But they who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, she was overwhelmed. Those water pots she carried symbolized all of her burdens and all of the things she had trusted in. And the record says she put the water pots down, put her burden down. She laid aside all those things that had kept her from God. And she went into the city and said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. And some came, and many believed, and there was great revival. Now I want you to think for a moment, suppose down the road a little bit, that Samaritan woman who had met the Jesus, who had found living water, who had been changed, who had been purified, who had been forgiven, who had been cleansed, 
her name written in heaven. Wonderful, wonderful experience. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then she went whoring after other gods. She took her eyes off of Jesus. Just suppose. What can satisfy the heart? Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? Those who go away from God, those who forsake the fountain of living waters, where would you go but to the Lord? What could you do? I think of Demas. Demas was a precious man of God. He was Paul's associate. He worked with Brother Paul just like Brother Steve works with Brother Pastor Lightfoot. Demas is mentioned in Philippians. He's mentioned in Colossians, a precious man of God. But then, at the end of Paul's ministry, he's in a Roman prison. He's writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, do your best to come before winter. I'm alone here. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. He saw the bright lights. He went after something else, and he forsook the Lord. Where could I go but to the Lord? And as we speak tonight, as the Holy Spirit lays this on your heart, is it possible there's one person here tonight who has known the Lord? You've experienced the gracious, graciousness of forgiveness. You remember when you were forgiven. You remember when Christ came in your heart. But something else has taken first place. You know, anything can take first place. You take a little quarter. And a quarter out here is very insignificant, but you allow that quarter to get up here between your heart, your eye, and things out here, and pretty soon money has stood in the way. And you forsake the Lord God. My people, my people, my people have forsaken me. They've rebelled against God. Secondly, in this Isaiah text, if you look at Isaiah 1, look at verses 6 to 9. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land foreigners devour in their presence, in your presence. And it is desolate, it is overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth and a vineyard, as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been like Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. What is he saying here? He said, I've chastened you. I've tried to bring you back, and you wouldn't pay any attention to my chastening. I tried to whip you a little bit, and you ignored me. I tried to discipline you, but you wouldn't listen. I believe that's what God's been doing to America. You imagine the earthquakes on the West Coast and the fires that have gobbled up millions of dollars worth of property and beautiful homes. And in the Midwest, along the Mississippi River, floods like we've never had before. And on the East Coast, sub-zero temperatures and snow and ice storms 
more than we've ever seen before. In our area, great trees were just bowed down and cracked and broke. And all the people were without electricity for days and days. I have yet to hear anybody get on the radio and announce her and say, well, I wonder what God is trying to say to us. They've ignored his chastening. America has set her pace to go on. And my people have loved it so. And there's nobody grieved over the iniquity of a nation. That's what Jeremiah was saying to the people of God hundreds of years ago. My people have forsaken me and they have hewn them out cisterns that can hold no water. Now you think of God disciplining people and they won't listen. There are three or four ways God deals with a sinning Christian. Number one, he hurts his heart. If you're saved, if you're God's child, if you're a believer, God will hurt your heart when you sin. But you don't have to listen to that. You can ignore it. You can get a hard heart. But because God loves you, secondly, he will send somebody to you. You remember how he did David? David sinned, and I'm sure his heart hurt him when he sinned with Bathsheba. Killed, had Uriah killed at the front of the battle. But it was all covered up. Nobody knew about it. But God said, I care about David. I know there's been shame. I know Bathsheba was hurt. I know Uriah was hurt. But David is my servant. I love him. Nathan, you go to him. Point a finger in his face. And when Nathan came to David, you know what David did? And remember, he was king. He could have beheaded the preacher. Maybe he could have called some of the leaders of the church together and said, we got to get rid of this man, Nathan, this preacher. He's too nosy. But you know what David did? He got down on his knees. He said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I done this iniquity. Oh, God, forgive me. Be merciful to me. And God restored him. First, God hurts our heart. Secondly, God sends somebody to us, but we don't have to listen. I don't know how many people through these years I've gone to and tried to persuade them to come back to God. They just have a deaf ear and they won't listen. But thirdly, God begins the winds of affliction. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. If you can sin and get by with it, and God never hurts your heart, God never sends somebody to you, beloved, you're not saved. Because God will start the winds of affliction. God will whip us until we come back to him. Hurting our hearts, sending someone to us, or allowing home problems, doctor bills, all kinds of things to come. But we don't even have to listen to that. And the people of God wouldn't listen. And when we won't listen to that, then the Bible says God has an early funeral. In 1 John 5, 16, there's a sin unto death in a brother's life, a Christian's life. I do not say you should pray for that person. When a person has rejected God's dealing with his heart, 
And God is, uh, the person has rejected God sending some to him. And God, and, and he has rejected the winds of affliction and discipline and whippings that God tries to bring to draw us back. If we'll not listen to any of that over a period of time, maybe not quickly, all of God's accounts are not settled in March. But over a period of time, God will look down and say, that's enough. That's enough. Just go on out of this life. Years ago, in our county, there was a couple that were faithful in church. They loved the Lord. They were saved. Taught Sunday school there every time the door opened. And then they bought a store. At first, they kept the store Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Closed on Sunday. And then they decided that they had to open it on Sunday. And when the preacher came to them and said, I notice your store is open on Sunday. That's the Lord's Day. You've never done that before. You've taught Sunday school. You're, you're part of our church. You're pillars of the church. They said, oh, preacher, we've got to make a dollar. We've got to make some money. We're having a tough time. They kept the store open on Sunday. And then in our area, legalized beer and whiskey came back into the area. For a while, it was an illegal in Warren County, Kentucky, and Bowling Green to have legal beer sales and whiskey sales. Wouldn't that be wonderful in Oakland, California? That couple brought beer into their store and the preacher came by. One of those preachers was Brother Ashley that she spoke of this morning. The preacher came by and said, Sir, you're a Christian. You're God's child. And now you've got the store open on Sunday and you're selling beer and you're members of our church. What's happened to you? Well, you know, we got to make a dollar. We just can't help it. We've got to make a dollar. Listen, beloved, you don't have to make a dollar. You have to be faithful to the Lord if you're saved. That's God's plan. Some months went by. One afternoon, their son and some others were out boating. And the boat capsized on Barren River. And that young boy was drowned, 17 years old. They called the preacher. The preacher came. And that woman said, Preacher, I have sent my boy to hell. He's not saved. I've sent my boy to hell. Preacher, what shall I do? What shall I do? At the funeral, she tried to get down to the grave with her boy. Six months went by. One day she took a revolver and destroyed herself. He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly, suddenly, suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Saved? So as by fire, I don't know whether they were saved, only God knows that. But I know that God deals with sinning Christians in a severe way. If we'll not come back, my people, called by my name, have forsaken me. And then they've, they've hewn out cisterns that can hold no water. Listen, only Jesus supplies the water of life to our hearts. But when we get our eyes off the Lord, we begin to hew out other cisterns that can hold no water. And they're not good for us. And they hurt us. Those cisterns, what are they? 
Well, I think some of the cisterns are false gods that we put in the way of the Lord God. Now, we don't mean to do that. If I would ask you today, how many of you have a false god? You would say, well, I don't have a false god. I love the Lord God. And I want to tell you, this church is way above average. This is a great church. But God laid this, heart, all my message, this message on my heart tonight, so I'm going to preach it. If the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, turn it to God. I want to tell you, there are people who make false gods out of amusements, out of the things of the world, and it hurts the heart of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. They've hewn out cisterns that can hold no water. What kind of cisterns? Well, you may not agree with me, but I want to tell you, when you go to the picture show, and you see all the things and the filthy things that are going on in the movies today, you're the exceptional person if that doesn't become like a little God to you to get your mind off of Jesus. They have hewn out cisterns that can hold no water. You think of the luxury that we live in today. In Amos, if you would, open your Bible to the 6th chapter of Amos. Look at this just a moment. Amos chapter 6. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, her name chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Pass unto Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? Or their border greater than your border? Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory, stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. They chant to the sound of the harp and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. They drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointment, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Extravagant furniture extravagant food, extravagant songs and drinking and debauchery. And when you become all involved in that, something, something happens. We begin to trust in our riches, trust in ourselves and the things that, that we can afford. And these become false gods. We've hewn out cisterns that can hold no water. We substitute something for our trust in God. I talked to a young man who had been called to preach. Thank the Lord for men and women who have surrendered their lives to the will of God. There are people in this place tonight God's putting his hand on. He wants to use you. He already is using you. Maybe use you in a different way. But I talked to this young man, and I don't know that that's ever been true here in Oakland, but in Kentucky it's true a lot of times. This young man said, God's called me to preach, but I can't afford to get an education. I can't afford to go to college. I said, you can't afford not to. 
If God has called you, you must go. Well, he said, I can't do it. He has lived in the shallows all the years. Never did what God wanted him to do. There's a price to pay in serving the Lord. I think of Flora Dotson. Some of you may have heard that name. Flora Dotson was a missionary in China for many, many years before the communists took over. Flora Dotson was from Kentucky. She was dear to us, came to our church and spoke many times on furloughs. And Flora Dotson had a mother had lived in Louisville and the mother was going blind and some of Miss Flora's friends said now Flora your mother may not live very long and you're gonna to have to you need to stay home and take care of her you, you can't go back there to that work uh, you need to stay home and take care of her well that hurt Flora's heart she went to see her mother she said mother you know God called me to China and I know you're very sick and if I go back, I may never see you again. Mother, what should I do about that? She had a godly mother. That godly mother said, Flora, if God wants you in China, you go. God will take care of me. She went back to China. She never saw her mother again. But some years ago, Flora Dodson died. And oh, what a reunion as she swept through the gates to glory over there. What's God want you to do? What's God saying to you? Don't hew out some cistern that can hold no water and substitute offered as a substitute to God for what he wants you to do. God has a plan, a wonderful blueprint for your life and he wants you to do it and to walk in the will of God. Sometimes people hew out cisterns of music that does not honor Christ. I want to just say to this wonderful choir, choir, don't ever let your standards down. Keep on singing like you sing. All over America, there are churches that have gone after Christian rock. We had Rudy Atwood in our church. You've had Rudy Atwood here, haven't you? Yeah. We had Rudy Atwood there many, many times. And Rudy used to say, rock music is a contradiction of terms. He said, if it's rock, it's not music. If it's music, it's not rock. And I'll tell you, many people have hewn out cisterns and they just sort of have, they go along with the world style and we say we have to do that to get young people. I've never seen any more young people than you've got here and you're raised on that kind of music. I feel so sorry for you. Poor you. Didn't you know any better than that? There's something out there that you could really like? Listen, don't ever change that. They have hewn out cisterns that kind of music that is base and debauchery and hurts your mind and heart and never does anything for Jesus. Dr. Lee was pastor in Bellevue for many years. He preached a long time. <laughs> Somebody came in one day, a lady came in late to the church service and she said to an usher, uh, am I late? How long has he been preaching? The usher said he's been preaching about 40 years. Dr. Lee used to say, over at Bellevue, we preach sermons and raise Christians. We don't preach sermonettes and raise Christianettes. Now, the same thing's true about music. When you feed garbage 
whether it's good scriptural textual words to a bunch of rock music you feed that to them you have to keep them on that and you raise them and you're raising a generation that will hew out cisterns that hold no water well so what Jeremiah was preaching this what about it what can we do about it well, I want to tell you, there's a difference in separation and legalism. Legalism has to do with salvation, how you get saved. And there are some people that will say, you have to do this and this and this to get saved. You can't do this and this and this to be saved. That's legalism. Nobody can ever tell you that you have to give up this or this or this to be saved. Salvation comes by putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I yield my life to the will of God. But, separation has to do with God's people called by his name, honoring him with their lives. And saying by the grace of God, I'm not going to yield to the world's way. I'm not going to yield to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the Hollywood standards, and all of those things that I get on TV, and the True Confession magazines, and all of those things, I'm going to honor Christ. I'm sure you're not protected from what's going on in our nation. It's a sad tragedy. They've given up on our teenagers and our young people, and they've said young people are going to be sexually active, the only way we can stop the advance of AIDS is to hand out condoms. Isn't that sad? My people, America was founded by God seekers, not gold seekers. We have a wonderful heritage. You, in this great church, you have found the Lord precious to your heart. Don't ever allow yourself to hew out cisterns that can hold no water. What do we do when we find that happening in our lives? That's where repentance comes in. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, Solomon said one day, God said to Solomon, Solomon, this is an exciting time. The temple has been built. We've had a dedication. The Shekinah glory of God has come down. This is a wonderful day. Everybody feels wonderful. This is an exciting day. But Solomon, it may come down the years that people are not as excited about the things of God as they used to be. They may not be as enthused about the things of God. They may allow sin to get in their lives. My people may forsake me, the living water, and hew out cisterns that can hold no water. Solomon, here's what you're to do. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Our part is fourfold. God's part is threefold. If my people, and this is what repentance is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, get off of our hobby high horse and get down in sackcloth and ashes and say, God, we need something. 
Oh God, restore the power. I don't have the excitement about God that I used to have. I don't feel the joy that I once had. Lord, I need a warmer, closer walk with you. I need to see something happen. My people call them and they will humble themselves and pray. Pray. Seek the Lord. Turn from their wicked ways. Turn, turn, turn. What is repentance? An old preacher and a young preacher were preaching one night. And a young preacher preached on repentance and he gave a wonderful oration. But when he finished, nobody much understood what he said. The old preacher just simply got up and said this. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. He stopped and he turned around. He said, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. He said, that's what repentance is. It's a turnaround. It's a change. Where you're once going down, away from God, you turn and come back to Him. Set your face toward Him. In this Isaiah text, the Scripture says they went away from God backward. In other words, God is out here. They didn't just turn and walk away from Him. But here was God, and they said, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. They went away backward. Has anybody here done that? In the depths of your heart, deep down inside, is it possible that Satan is tempting somebody to go away from God? Not just to turn around, not walk off. But the Lord doesn't mean as much to you as he used to. Somebody said, anything that cools the enthusiasm for our love for Jesus is sin. What is that monstrous thing in our life tonight that needs to be repented of? If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, coming back, Lord, I seek your face. I need you. I want you. Then he'll forgive. He'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive the land. There's more at stake tonight than just the Chinese Bible Church. You are an example to a world that has turned its back against God. And this church must go on and on and on, sail on and on and on, and never get caught up in the little things, but must always keep our eyes on Jesus. A nation is watching you. Churches all over America have their eyes turned on the Chinese Bible Church. They know about you. Down in Jacksonville, down in Dallas, over in Kentucky, and all around various places, the name of the Chinese Bible Church has gone out. If gold rust, what will iron do? My beloved, if there is anything in any of our lives tonight that would keep God's free flow of power from flowing through, could we repent of it? Could we say, Lord, I want to turn back. I want God to use me. And if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, would you come to Jesus and just say, Lord, I want to humble my heart in your presence. I want Christ in my life. Jesus died on the cross, God's only son, paid the penalty for my sins and your sins, took my place. He was our substitute. He died. Three days later, he was raised from the grave, and he's alive tonight. 
And every man, woman, boy, or girl who will invite that living Christ to come into his heart, there will be a new power inside. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our heads bowed and eyes closed before God for just a moment. While we pray, I want to ask everyone here to pray in his own heart, to look inside of his heart. Pastor Lightfoot will be here at the front. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, what a wonderful night to come home. What a wonderful night to say, Lord, I want Jesus as my personal Savior. I want to give you my heart. And if you are saved, is there somebody here who has heard God deal with your heart and would say, Lord, I need to come back to you. I'm not as warm towards you as I was. I don't have that joy that I, I want. I ask you, Lord, to rekindle the fire in my soul. I want to give myself back to you. Would you say that to him now? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, how many in this room tonight can say, Preacher, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. If I died tonight, I know I'd go to heaven. Lift your hand if that's true. Thank you. So many of you. God bless you. Put your hands down. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight who would say, Preacher, I couldn't lift my hand that time. I'm not really positive. I would like to be a Christian. Pray for me. I need Jesus. I want him as my Savior. Would you slip your hand up and hold it a moment? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there somebody who would say that to God tonight? All right. Now, while we continue to pray, I wonder how many God's people here would say, Preacher, I, I love the Lord, but I don't love him as much as I want to. I need to get closer to him. There's an area of my life I need to surrender again to him. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and hold it? Take it back down. Many hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God sees you. Amen. God bless you. Yes. God bless you. God bless you. Our Father, we pray for each one of these who's lifted his hand. Thy spirit would speak and deal kindly and gently and yet firmly. And may some of these have the courage to come out from the ranks and take a stand tonight and say, by the grace of God, I want to be a revival Christian. I want God to use me. If there needs to be some repentance in my life, I want to do that. I want the Lord to have his way. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Will you stand, please?